Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Tony Delmarcato is the co-founder and COO at Hawk Media. As a passionately curious entrepreneur, accomplished communicator, and proven leader, Tony has earned recognition and praise in publications like Entrepreneur, Forbes, Business Insider, Inc., and more. He's helped generate hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue for multiple companies through leadership roles in business development, marketing, and operations. In addition to speaking in front of audiences large and small, Tony has sat across a desk from over 40,000 people personally mentoring over 2,000 of those. He loves playing golf, tinkering with new ideas, and working to develop people and organizations around him. And as I just found out before we hopped on the call, Tony is an old school Cutco guy, which has um, got a bit of a unique breed to it. So Tony, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Cam. Uh, I'm obviously a huge fan of everything that you do in the COO space and the leadership from a thought perspective that you provide. And as you mentioned, I am I am indeed a Cutco veteran, uh, an old school steel slinger, and uh, I've got some some good good company in that regard. Yeah, you've got some amazing company. I mean, one of my one of my really really close friends, John Rulin, who wrote the book Giftology, was a Cutco guy, and then uh, Brad Weimart, a great friend of mine in Austin, and then I also co-authored a book, The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs, with Hal Elrod. He's old school Cutco. So, what is it about Cutco that that um, turned out so many amazing people? Well, I think uh, first and foremost, their their reach is pretty incredible, and for younger folks that are entrepreneurial that have a desire to go out and sort of um, dictate their own income or ceiling, uh, it's really attractive, right? It's, it's definitely one of those businesses and opportunities where you get out what you put into it. And for folks with an innate uh, drive and ambition, I think gravitate towards the opportunity. And then for me, at least, I can't speak to Hal and Brad and John, but I would guess they would echo this sentiment. There's such an emphasis on personal and professional development and, and just being the best version of yourself um, that it's, it's really, uh, it's intoxicating, especially as a young person that's never been exposed to that stuff. So I think they do a great job top to bottom, including leadership, uh, executives in the business, all the way down through the field level of really promoting growth, personal and professional growth and facilitating that. So I think that's why it's attractive to a lot of people. And then the folks that stick and do well turn out, turn out pretty good outside of the business too. Well, it's, it's amazing because I was involved in an organization called College Pro Painters and we had a very similar kind of pedigree. I have, um, you know, if I think of College Pro, we've got Kimball Musk, Elon's brother was a franchisee and then Peter Reeve who built Solar City, was a franchisee. And I, you know, I, the list goes on and on of really successful entrepreneurs who started with College Pro Painters. I think it speaks to two things. One, it speaks to the recruiting, um, the, you know, the recruiting, interviewing and selection of great people. And then, and, and then also guys like me. Um, and then, uh, you know, it also speaks to the, the culture and systems that these organizations put in place. So do you think you pulled some of those systems from Cutco into what you guys are doing at Hawk? thousand percent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I actually uh, consciously have aped a whole bunch of stuff that <laughs> was in the DNA of Cutco and brought it over to Hawk Media. And it's, it's really amazing to be in the position that I am where I have such an opportunity to craft uh, culture and process and what it feels like to go to work. You know, our, our greatest asset as a business walks in and out of that front door every day. So I'm highly conscious of what it feels like to be at work. And I stole tons of stuff from Kaka. Yeah, I, I say that our R&D should stand for rip off and duplicate. So, yeah. <laughs> so I guess give us, give us a system that you use today on the people side because um, Hawk Media is really known for its people. So maybe give us a system that you guys use and then, and then afterwards tell us what Hawk Media is or flip it and, and do that first. Sure, I'll start with the people. I mean, I think the, the easiest way to describe um, our process as it relates to attracting, uh, developing and retaining talent is to be really mindful of where people's skill sets are, uh, where, where they want to be, uh, and making sure that there's a really consistent and, and 
what maybe some older folks would consider a short-term feedback cadence about where somebody sits in their growth trajectory and, and sort of development pipeline, right? I think that you know, quarterly reviews have been one of the cornerstones uh, of our people management since the early days. I think it's absolutely critical, especially with a, you know, a 20-something workforce. People want to know where, where they are. Uh, I think that millennials get a bad, bad rap about entitlement, which is obviously like stereotypes exist for a reason in some cases. But there's also what I, what I find is that millennials really want to know that they're working for something. They want to be about something and they want to know where they sit on a trajectory or on a cadence, right? So if you're negligent of that, then people are just going to fill their head with their own wild ideas and the grass gets greener and all that other stuff. So I think that's a big thing is, is just making sure people know that we're going to talk a lot about where you are. Um, mm. And then I used to tell people money is like the fourth or fifth best thing about working at this place. It's, awesome. not, it's not that we pay poorly to be clear, right? We, we pay um, in alignment with the market, but the opportunity, riding a rocket ship, the people you work with, the clients you work with, those are the things that are compelling, the growth opportunity that you have as a person. So if somebody's looking for a paycheck, that's probably not a fit for us, right? If you're looking to get better, you're looking to test your metal, get in the arena and see what you can, <laughs> see what you can do, this is a heck of a place to work because uh, again, on one of our walls in here, we have uh, a big sign that says, this is the most comfortable place you'll ever be uncomfortable. And hmm. the idea of challenging people is really important. So that's a little bit about the people, right? That's cool. Hawk Media as a business is a, a marketing company. We try not to call ourselves an agency. Um, we positioned ourselves as an outsourced CMO and digital marketing team. So in the beginning, we were essentially designed to solve a problem that every growing brand has, which is marketing. And there's a few options. You can either build an in-house team. Um, there's a lot of reasons why that's challenging. You can work with an agency or you can cobble together like a group of contractors and that kind of thing. So there's, there's pros and cons to all those, but we thought, man, what if we do a month to month a la carte, super high level service, um, but without sort of the price barrier, we find, uh, you mentioned Elon Musk earlier, you know, much like building a rocket, if you take the constituent parts of building a rocket and how much it costs on the market, you know, prior to SpaceX, it's egregious, right? We, mm -hmm. we feel the same way about marketing and advertising. If you take the constituent parts of what it takes and what kind of human resources are necessary to do great advertising, there's just so much bloat in the so expensive in the agency model. And it's, it's just bloated. It's an, it's an antiquated system, right? So we, we just wanted to make month to month a la carte solutions so that marketing is available to everyone, right? Our, our mission is around making amazing marketing available to everyone. Um, of course, there's still a minimum cost threshold, so not everybody can afford it. But the, the truth is like, we really want to make great marketing a checkbox that people don't have to think about if they've got a great idea or a great product or a great service. So that's how we started. Um, been around for about six years, got 160 full-time employees. We're in LA and New York, just acquired an agency in Boston two days ago. So we're uh, boots on the ground there now, which is exciting. And we're continuing to expand our geographic footprint. We, we think of the marketing ecosystem as highly fractured. Um, much like, you know, VCA, if anybody knows about Veterinary Care of America, you know, that's a business that took an incredibly fractured market and, and standardized it. Mm -hmm. We think that that should happen in marketing. Like we're going to lobby Congress for a professional certification for marketers, right? We, we want to, yeah. we want to be the gold standard in marketing and, and make sure that we have an office, um, in every city. Right. So that's what we're up to. Wow. That's a huge, huge expansion plans. I love the model. Um, so where do you get, where do you get your clients now? Do you guys do marketing and advertising as a we company? Do. Yeah, we do a fair amount. We have, um, we have a few main drivers. Um, obviously we have, um, you know, traditional like, you know, paid search and Facebook advertising and we re-engage with our email list and, um, we've made a couple TV commercials and we've done those kinds of things. Um, that's been really helpful, um, especially for awareness building. We've, 
really put an emphasis on press. I think in advertising and marketing, social proof is so critical. So we have tons of social proof. We're written up, as you mentioned in my intro, uh, thank you for the kind words, but myself and my business partner have been written up in every publication that matters from like a social validation standpoint. Um, we have a great amount of press. Uh, we really focus on that. And then we have a really robust partnership program. So there's great technology providers and other um, parallel businesses throughout the country that are non-competitive, but work with the same client typology. And so refer us a ton of business. Uh, and then you've met my business partner, Eric, and I, obviously. Um, Eric, his full-time job is beating the streets, shaking hands, kissing babies. So right. that helps us. You really have kind of moved into your zone of unique ability as the two co-founders, as the CEO and the COO as well, where you're now surrounding yourself with people to do a lot of the work. You guys really are in unique space, aren't you? Yeah, well, we, we're really lucky, right? And don't get me wrong, like, you know, the Vince Lombardi thing about like when preparation meets opportunity, that's the definition of luck. Um, Eric and I have both been working our entire professional lives for this thing which we happen to agree on. Uh, I've, I've heard many times, like if you and your co-founder or you and your second command or you and your boss or whatever the deal is, if you argue about who should do what, you're probably in a bad situation. Eric and I know exactly who we are. I could do his job, he could do mine, um, but we don't want to. And we both fit like very, very snugly <laughs> into mm -hmm. our roles. Uh, and we've been able to leverage each other. Um, the only reason that I get to think about culture and people and, you know, I got to design a bitch in 26,000 square foot office here in LA. Um, the only reason that I get to focus on that stuff is because he's so focused on growth and getting new people into the biz. And the only reason that he can be gone, you know, 200 of the 365 days a year is because I'm so focused on minding the nest as it were, right? So we have developed a really nice uh, kind of yin and yang relationship. Yeah, I love and I love the branding of the Hawk's Nest as well as you call your your head office. Um, one of the things that I've, I've said for years is that business or culture can be codified, that there really are systems that create a great company culture. And I think you've kind of recognized that it's not the free perks, right? It's not the, you know, the office is a nice to have, the space is a good to have, the free perks are a good to have, but it really starts, I think, with alignment with vision and values and that core purpose. Can you go back and speak to that? Because you talked about Gen Y and the, the 20 somethings and aligning them with something greater than themselves. And um, can you walk us through how you do that? Yeah. So it's, it's evolved like everything in our business. We're now six, almost six years old. And so everything has matured as we have and as the business has. But in the beginning, I, um, I actually had an interview with a woman in 2014 that ended up being you know, one of our employees for over four years was awesome and is now doing great things at another company. But in her interview, I said, listen, if you can get shit done, you can learn quickly and you're cool, we're going to be fine. Right. And that became our core values for the first like four and a half years. So we had a big neon sign that said, get shit done, learn quickly, be cool. Right. Mm. So everybody that came into the building uh, and this is at the old building knew, look, this is what we're about right? Like execute, like I value execution over ideas all day. There's a great book, by the way, called The Execution Gap, which everybody should read. Um, Larry Bossy and Ram Sharan, these like old school corporate guys, but yep. phenomenal book. Or um, what is it called? It's called Execution, The Discipline of Getting Things Done. That's what it's called. Um, I'll link to it. Yeah, right on. So the, uh, the idea of execution, the idea of learning quickly, understanding that we're in a dynamic industry and that personal and professional growth are mandatory. Those are table stakes. Those aren't goal conditions. Those are what we are about. And then be cool, right? It doesn't mean you need to be a snappy dresser or tell a funny story. Just be nice to each other, right? Have, a, have an understanding of the fact that your peer is just as busy as you are. That person that snapped at you in a meeting has got their own stuff going on that has nothing to do with you. If a client's being crusty for some reason that you know you don't think you drove, just be be cool, man. Just take a step <laughs> and, and give it a minute. Now our values have evolved since then, and they're longer than I'll take the time to go into. But um, I think for us that was a real that was a real big thing. Every, everybody just understood that, and then. 
I used to ask people during the interview process, like if I was interviewing somebody, which I used to, I used to run every single interview that we had, um, I would grab somebody walking down the hall and I'd go, hey, come in here. And I'd go, what are your two favorite things about working here? And what are the two things that you fucking hate, right? Sorry, I don't know if I can swear here or not. That's fine, you can swear. <laughs> I said, give me the two things that you love about this place and the two things that are just the worst. Um, and we are super transparent about the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I think that that's- You have to be. Really important, yeah. So we well, the- never- we never masquerade as like these gurus that know what's up, right? We we're learning along the way. I've never done this. He's never done this. We're, we're figuring it out. We're building the plane as we fly. Right. Well, and some of that is that if, if you don't do that, if you do try to masquerade, they're going to figure it out six weeks in and then they're not going to be happy. But if you tell them exactly what the lay of the land is and you show them warts and all what you look like, then it attracts the right people and it repels the ones you don't want anyway. Exactly. Right. I mean, I, I've never experienced a situation where I was super candid with someone about sort of the pain points of the role or the job or the ecosystem. And then they came back two months later and they were like, Hey, exactly what you told me is really about <laughs> right. that. It just never happens. Right. Okay. I've, I've got an interesting one for you. So this is a, um, a question from uh, somebody in my network, Parshel Tashi, and she wanted to know how you, um, how you find commonality with your core values with your clients? And do you actually look for commonalities with clients? I guess another way to phrase that is, would you ever turn away potential clients because they don't fit your company's core values? Yeah, great, great question. Um, so the first, let me see how, um, I'll triage this by saying that, do we turn away business because our core values are misaligned? Yes, right, that's, that's happened in the past, but probably not for the reasons that she's alluding to. Um, we've done some things before where, um, who's the most recent one? There was a company that was, uh, which I, of course I won't name, but they, they were essentially a, a puppy mill, right? They're, they're, they're breeding puppies at scale in a lot of different breeds and they were looking for some marketing help and oh, Eric legit. and I they were a legit puppy mill legit puppy mill and wow. Eric and I both have dogs and we have we have a super dog friendly office there's probably 15 dogs in here right now and we were like no no yeah, right no. Like, <laughs> no now at the same time and this is something that I, you know I don't mean to be intentionally controversial uh, Sig Sauer who's a gun manufacturer is a client of ours um, and We've worked with them for a long time because Eric and I both enjoy sport shooting and going out and doing these kinds of things. So it's, it's tough. It's tough to decide who you will and won't work with and then yeah. set like an ethical or moral line. Um, one of the things that I will say that we're universally aligned on top to bottom, if somebody's a dick for lack there of... There you go. Yeah, we're done, right? Yeah. Um, there's no amount of money and we're fortunate in this way because we went through that in 2014, 15, less so in 16, less in 17, less in 18, less in 19. And now we're at the point where it's like, if you're just looking for a punching bag, that's not me. Go down the road. Well, it's it's interesting. We've been, when we're building out this COO Alliance, we started the only network of its kind in the world for second in commands and, and all of our COO Alliance members have to fit this common criteria. They have to be young, fun, entrepreneurial, high viral, high growth, pre-public. And if they don't fit in that zone, they're not the right fit. And we had a, kind, a guy come in and he was, you know, 65. And 65 isn't really a problem in terms of age. You can be like, my dad's 78, but he's younger than you are. You know, like, he's like, he's fun. He's crazy. He's silly. He's got this amazing energy. He doesn't stop. Um, he swears more. He's just like, just this amazing energy at 78 years old. But if somebody's a dick or if somebody's, grumpy and old or if somebody's like nope in my way this is the way we always did it they just don't fit and they're just not fun so it's almost less about what they do for work and it's more how they show up yeah totally agree and we've we have fired clients and some of that stuff for us isn't a pre-qualification methodology right it's we get into a relationship literally this happened monday we uh, yesterday we we let a client go because of the way that they were talking to us and this isn't, by the way, like an overnight knee-jerk reaction. No, this, no, for sure. This but is this, months of coaching them on how to be a, 
you know, positive team member and going, Hey, I'm on your team. Like, why are you like, why are you doing this? Like, I'm trying to help you win. You get that. Right. And, yep. and when people don't get it, eventually we go, you know what? Not worth it. And we're, man, are we fortunate to be in that position? And that's, that's a newer thing for us. But well, we're, that, we're really that sends a massive signal out to your team as well. When your employees see that you'll fire a customer because of their abusive core values or the way that they're going to treat our team, all of a sudden your employees will go through brick walls for you because they realize that they mean more to you than money. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And we've, we've said for a long time, like if somebody's critiquing your work or has feedback on the efficacy of a campaign or a program or something like that, like you need to be thick skinned and develop some emotional fortitude. And that's, that's part of being a grown up. If somebody attacks you personally or, or, or takes jabs at uh, your character or something like that, that's not okay. And if you can't coach somebody off that, then we're not going to work with them. That's not how we do business. Awesome. All right. I've got a, a random question and I'll dive back into our theme, but I want to ask about the, the PR, the press coverage before I forget. Um, so walk us through some of the ways that you guys have generated some of this press coverage for yourself. And I assume that as well, you're not talking about just the online publications for some of these. You're also talking about the traditional print publications too, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've, um, we've been really, um, I guess just from Jump Street, we understood that like hype matters in the advertising and marketing world. So we have put a concerted effort into making sure that like, um, like Eric was on Forbes 30 under 30 and we uh, spent some time and money about building relationships with print publications that helped us um, kind of expand our reach and win some awards. Um, we also, uh, we've been working on this thing for two years, which finally came to fruition, which is, uh, e-commerce week in LA. We do this annual event called Hawkfest, uh, which is a, a great event for anybody in the e-com space. It's uh, the anti-conference. And we, this last one we had at the Houdini estate and we had magicians and we had like breakouts and it was like crazy, awesome. crazy event. Right. And then the year before it was like a circus theme and the year before it was downtown LA. Um, and we've been sort of working with the city of LA to get e-commerce week in the same way that Paris has fashion week or these kinds of things. So now e-commerce week in LA is happening in October of 2020 and it's brought to you by Hawk media, right? So we, we've put a ton of effort into stuff like that. And we have a, you know, big plaque in our office that's signed by all the councilmen and women and the mayor. And, um, we had a ribbon cutting ceremony at our new office. We, you know, we're just really mindful of the optics. Um, and what I would say is that it's, it's time, relationships, and money. And I think it's all three. It's not just one of those, right? Uh, I mentioned earlier, Eric and I have this um, symbiotic relationship where most of what he's doing is that stuff. I know you know, Eric. And, yep. uh, for the, <laughs> I'm sure half of the people <laughs> listening to this know Eric, right? No, That's, no. It's amazing how when all of a sudden you get out into a broad reach, we think everyone knows us. Then all of a sudden I realize, like, uh, you know, people are like, oh, everyone talks about you. And then I go to some event and they're like, I've never heard of you before. I'm like, okay, apparently I got a lot of marketing still to do. Yeah, no, that that's true. But I, I will say that that's the, that's the beauty of our um, relationship is that he has been um, incredibly proactive. And yeah, he's been great in the press. Yeah. So, and then he's also, and, and this is something that if any founders or second commands or anything is listening to, Eric and Hawk Media are absolutely inextricable. Like his social profile, his Twitter, his Facebook, his Insta, his LinkedIn, like there is no difference. Like he is the biggest brand advocate for Hawk Media. Like we could have a hundred people try full time and they wouldn't be what Eric is because he is so incredibly about it, right? Almost to, for someone like me, almost to a fall, right? Like, I'm well, you're, touch, you're touching on something that's really important in the role of the second in command, the role of the COO is that our job is to make the CEO iconic. Mm -hmm. and, and the CEO's job is behind the scenes to make sure that all the employees know that we're just doing our job when we have to roll out all the tough decisions, hard decisions, and be focused on the business, right? That they kind of have our back and we have theirs. It's a very kind of yin and yang relationship. Yep. And we, I mean, we kind of jokingly refer to it as mom and dad, right? Yeah. Where dad's on the road, he's out there doing this stuff. Mom's taking care of everybody. 
Um, and you know, we've, we've evolved quite a bit since then. We have a executive team now that is in each of these disciplines, but I think it, it does take a minute and something to be conscious of for all the listeners. It does take a minute for a new hire to understand like, why is our CEO in Vail? Why is he in Singapore? What, what's going on here? Like what, why is he posting a picture on a jet with some celebrity? It's like, that's not about what he does, right? What he's doing is trying to expand our footprint. That's, I mean, opening up the kimono pretty wide here. Eric's job is to expand our reach. Yeah. That's it. That's By the job. way, will, will Eric be at uh, the TED conference this April in Vancouver? It's a good question. Uh, shoot him a text. I, I genuinely don't know. People, okay. <laughs> it's funny. I, I've met people out and about in the world and they're like, oh, hey man, what do you do? And I go, oh, marketing company, blah, blah, blah. We start talking and they go, so what do you, what's the name of the company that you run? And I go, Hawk Media. And they go, oh, I know Eric. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, oh, he's going to be at XYZ. I'm like, honestly, I don't manage his schedule. Like we're bros. I, I love the guy. <laughs> we're, we're married in a business sense, but yeah, I, I don't no know. I'll, um, yeah, I'll drop him a note for sure. Cause he should be at the Ted conference. I've been going for 10 years and it is the who's who of the next phase of your growth for sure. Awesome. Yeah. All, of your, all of your next customers are sitting well, in there. Yeah, if he's not there, then, you know, crack the whip, get him out there. Should be. Um, so walk us through some of this growth. In six years to go from, you know, you and Eric starting this off to 160 people now already, you're do, starting to do acquisitions, you're getting ready to put your footprint as, as when we built 1-800-GOT-JUNK, we said that it, within three years, we wanted to have a footprint in the top 30 metropolitan markets. Um, yep. So we went after every NFL city and every MLB city um, as kind of our goal as to, to how we figured out what the primary markets were. That's so awesome. By the way, we did the exact same thing. Like, really? Yeah, it, just, it was just easy, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we also at one point we were like, fuck it, but we have to add Austin too because we really like Austin. So we added that as like an extra city. Um, so walk us through this growth. Like how do you go from and, and what do you think the natural stages are in building the company? to go from, um, from one to 160, what were the different hurdles that you had to get over? And by hurdles, I mean, like, did, were there, when did the culture change different, you know, when did you have to start managing it differently? Were there distinct stages in the business of your growth? Yeah, there, there were certain, I mean, there, there's things that stand out in my mind, which I'll share. And then there's like what I was told from, um, or what I was told by people from the outside, which is like, sure. oh, when you get to 25, it's this. And then you get to 75, it's this. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't experience it that way in like a linear sort of fashion. I experienced it in a way where like, when we went from uh, um, essentially like seven people sitting around a conference table, <laughs> which was yeah. like, first off, um, when we went from that to moving downstairs in this old building and then, now we had two tables, right? And yep. I remember, I remember there was one, and these are like bullshit two hundred fifty dollars IKEA conference tables, right? Sure, sure. And that's that's where we worked. So we heard everything, every sales call, every client call, like everything, right? And then that got up to like fifteen people, and then we needed to get more space and so on. It, what I remember most about that period was there was literally like table one and table two, right? And table two would come in and we would do a 9 a.m. stand-up, which I recommend for everybody. We, we would do, you know, company-wide uh, 9 a.m. stand-up every day. And at 8.59, everybody on table two would start pounding the desk going, table two, table two. <laughs> That's awesome. Table two, table two right? Um, which was killer, right? And just kind of got the day started. And then we would hang out until eight, nine o'clock at night. I'd order, you know, saucy for those that don't know, uh, bring in some beer and wine and some pizza. And we would just, we just work, man. That, and that was, I have a deep nostalgia for that period of the business in the same way a lot of people do for college, right? But it's a time and a place. It's never going to be the same. Yep. You can't go back. Um, yep. And that was, and when we transitioned from that to, desks, which sounds silly, but literally yeah, yeah. Going, going from 14 or 15 people around two conference tables to desks, you know, and then having conference rooms where we did calls and people yeah. started to, you know, kind of move into their different spot, spots. That was a real inflection point. And I think that, I think we did okay. 
right? Uh, I, I will never give myself a 10 out of 10 on anything, unfortunately. It's just my nature. But I think we did okay with bridging that gap. And then when we started to have um, not just one office in that building, but we had, by the time we left that building, we had seven different offices um, spread across this one building. We were like 65% of the square footage of the, wow. as a tenant. And then two blocks away, we had another office that was all of our sales and marketing. So it started yeah. to become really siloed and fractured and sure that's still uh permeates right so trying to break down walls and make sure everyone understands that even though this is your manager and this is your director the, the, we're a team unified front we all wear the same jersey the herb brooks thing you know play for the name on the front not the back and yeah um, <laughs> uh you know i've never that, heard that i've never heard that saying before that's a really great saying You've never heard? That? Oh, I thought that was his. Um, no, wow. I've been I've been working with people to understand that the team you're like if you play football, let's say you're the wide receiver and you're on the offensive team, you've got your offensive team, defensive team, and your special teams, but your most important team is the Dallas Cowboys, not the offensive team or the defensive team, or you know, it's it's whatever team you play on. And I think we have to get the leadership team to fight for the good of the company, not for the business area that they run. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that culturally, as we've evolved, the, the trickiest things have been, how do I make sure everybody knows everybody, everybody trusts everybody, everybody understands that we're all just people. I mean, one of the funniest things for me, and I don't think he'll mind me saying this, Eric Huberman to me is like some dude that I know, right? We have yep. to run a company together and he's like a goofball and I know like all of his <laughs> idiosyncrasies. People in our company are scared to talk to him or scared to talk to me, right? Mm -hmm. So continuing to like throw this like vibe of, hey, come talk to me. Like I, gra I grabbed a dude yesterday on our creative team. I go, hey, do you have five minutes? And he started shaking, <laughs> right? And I'm like, what? We're fine. I'm, I'm curious. He's like, I know. I just never talked to you. And blah, blah, blah. No, Jesus, it's, re it's real. It's a different that you're hitting that next stage. Yeah. It's so, so that's weird. But I think that what we've always done a good job of is both Eric and I are transparent to a fault, right? So win, lose, or draw, you know what you're getting, you know what our motives are. We're in a very fortunate position where we're not venture or private equity backed. We have no ambitions of selling our company. We don't want to get rolled up into Omnicom or WPP. No offense to any of those people. That's just not our jam. We're trying sure. to consolidate a fractured market and build a legacy. So. People get I love that, by the way, I love that you see it as a fractured market right now because I've been a part of rolling up a few brands. Once we did it with the auto body space, we built the largest collision repair chain in the world, did it with house painting, built the largest painting business in the world. And then I did it with junk removal and creating the largest junk removal brand in the world. But I had never seen the market and you're right. I've never seen it that way, but it, it is very, very fractured or it's yeah, dude, massive. You want a job, Cam? What are you up to? You want to come over <laughs> here? <laughs> or, it's, or it's the massive old school conglomerates that just is different yeah. than a roll up, right? It's different than that local brand with the local feel and that culture. So you guys are onto something really cool right now. I love your, your thought process. It's, there's half a million or so, you know, the SMBs in the country. And we're talking about just the US right now, right? And if you can't go to a Shy Day or a Weidman Kennedy or Red Antler or whatever, which yep. they all do bitch and work, by the way, like I I love these people, right? They're amazing. But if, if you're not in a position as a business to go do that, but you know that marketing and growth are like absolutely critical, but you can't check that box with your internal competencies. You don't want to spend the time, energy, and resources to go hire an internal team that ultimately is myopic because they're only looking at your stuff and you can't cobble together contractors. Like it's, it's, ridiculous how much blue sky there is in that space yeah can you can you i want you to go back in and talk to us a little bit more about your brand and about the business so the outsourced cmo first off how do you price because i know you've said a couple of times you kind of cobble together this or these outsourced um you've got different business areas that you can pick from and pull together pull to, how, how do you bill how do you how do the clients figure out what they're paying for or what um what they need on a month by month or quarterly basis how does that all work yeah, it's retainer based, right? So in the same way that like, if you were going to go hire someone, just like, this is the easiest corollary. If I, if I said, hey, I'm going to go hire a, a dedicated paid search manager that costs X thousand dollars a year, um, we're priced comparably, um, 
probably under in most cases. We're gonna, we're gonna cost less than a full-time dedicated resource uh, and we're gonna perform five to 10X better than that dedicated resource. Again, not, not out of like ego, just out of exposure. Like we spend more money on, on Facebook and Google than any business will on their own in a very long time, right? So we, we just get that, right? Like we see macro trends, we've got a bunch of tools, we've got a direct pipeline all the whitelisted cool sexy stuff we have a dedicated rep so if something's not performing we just give them shit and it works better and like you know we, we have some we have a foot on the scale in that way right um what i would say is that from a pricing standpoint again everything is retainer based um with the exception of like media spend as media spends grow we charge more um our, our you know the cheapest thing Cheap is not the right word. The least um, expensive thing that we sell is like 2000 bucks uh, a month, all the way up to, you know, we do essentially agency of record engagements for hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, every month, right? So it just, it just depends on the business and where they are from a life cycle standpoint. Um, we, we have, again, made a concerted effort to position ourselves as an opportunity for SMBs, growth stage companies. We work with some huge brands as well, which is awesome, but we've, we've positioned ourselves to be affordable. Every Tom, Dick, and Harry that has an idea about how we should grow tells us the same thing. Oh, go up market, do longer term contract, <laughs> right? And it's like, it's almost, it, it's like frustrating, right? Yep, I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I know that's, but clearly you haven't been paying attention because that's antithetical to everything we're about. Well, that's the, that's the core is when you can keep your entire team focused, you understand if your customers are focused, your employees are focused. I, I create this kind of concept of the vivid vision so everyone can see what the company looks like in three years. So we don't have to have those distraction discussions. Um, you, you talked about, by the way, one of the old adages in marketing, and I don't know where this came from, but was that a company is supposed to spend eight to 10% of revenue on marketing. First off, do you believe that's true? And then secondly, do you guys do that? Great, great question. Um, yes, wholeheartedly. I think 8 to 10% at least, depending on where you're at as a business. Um, I think you should model at, le at least 10%. And if we're putting marketing and sales or growth in the same bucket, I would say that number is closer to 25. Probably closer to 25, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think if you're not, you know, I'm cut from the cloth, but if you're not growing, you're dying, right? And unless you're aggressively going after new business, new opportunity, new mind share, new share of voice, whatever those things are, that you're, you're probably going to lose in the long term. There are some exceptions, by the way. Patagonia is an incredible company that spends less than 1% of top line on marketing, right? Wow. So they are they're just an incredible brand, but they do really smart stuff. Like on uh, giving Tuesday a couple of years ago, they said, you know what? We'll just give hundred percent of revenue on jackets. We sell today uh, to charity. And of course some CFO is like, what, what, what? No. <laughs> right. Um, they did it. They gave away a ton of money. And then the next day they sold just as many jackets. And the day after they sold just a little bit less. And the next yep. day, I mean, they had, you know what I mean? Like, and That's, it's such a small percentage on the scheme of things, but they get the press coverage, they get the social proof, they can drive yeah. traffic. So that interplay between earned and owned media and paid and all this other stuff is really critical. But I mean, nuts and bolts as an operator, I'll tell you, we spend, uh, this is me being transparent to a fault again, we probably spend 12% of top line on marketing for hockey. Okay. No, it's good. And I think that's one of the reasons why you're scaling because a lot of ad agencies don't, but they kind of grow at seven to 10% a year and they're not even drinking their own Kool-Aid. And I, I, I kind of had guessed that you were, especially if you include things like, you know, the travel and marketing that Eric is doing to be at the events. And, and um, you know, if you include your sales efforts, then you're probably way more than that. Um, yeah, sales is way more than that because we also pay, I mean, our, our methodology for attracting and acquiring customers is closer to a SaaS business than an agency business, right? We signed 60 clients last month, right? You just touched on something really quickly and, I, and everyone, most people probably missed it. I caught it just because we covered it in our book, Free PR, um, the whole digital trifecta of owned media, earned media, and paid media. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, the, 
if you have a book about it, I'm sure you spoke way better than I will. But no, but yeah. give me, yeah, give me, it was just one part of free PR that what we talked about was that if you, your owned media is things like your websites and your social platforms, your earned media is all the press coverage you're getting. And then if you put that press coverage on your websites, on your social platforms, and you buy traffic to it, that amplifies your social proof. It's like pouring gas on the fire. I think that's where you were going. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, we do all those same things. Like we did, um, it just, this is the most recent one cause it literally got published last night, which I thought was hilarious. Um, I grew a mustache for November for Movember, um, which is not my normal steez. And then, thank God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, my assistant was like, Hey, we're going to do this Christmas thing. And I'm like, whatever, uh, kind of forgot about it. She bought me this ugly sweater. They set up a Christmas tree and like our logo and I got eggnog and a Santa cup and did this whole thing where I'm like, what the fuck is this, right? So I'm sitting down and I'm giving ho- holiday marketing tips and they're all video snippets that, oh gosh. that lead back to blog content that we already have that we're also buttressing with paid social. Yeah, there now, you go. Because the video, the video is ridiculous and like the first take I did, they're like, be hammier. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, no, just like go full, like go full blown, like go ham, right? And so I did, and it's actually funny now, right? Like I'm, I would never fancy myself like an actor or anything like that, but. Are you guys it, going to upload those videos on TikTok? Uh, you know, that's a great question. So on TikTok, we just started messing around with it. Um, we are admittedly for Hawk Media, very, very green on our paid media side for some of our brands. Like we have a handful of brands that are in that demo that we are aggro on TikTok for sure. But for yeah. Hawk, not really, right? It, it's a really, really interesting little platform right now. And I think it just, it speaks to the fact that it is that real wide open marketplace that you can just kind of play with and see what works. And it doesn't take a lot of time or energy, especially when you've got a team as big as you guys have got. All right, so two, two quick areas I want to touch on before we have to wrap up. I could speak to you for hours as you guys are running such an amazing company. But the first one is um, quarterly reviews and annual reviews. Employees tend to hate them, but it sounds like they're working for you guys. So walk us through how your review process works and why it's working. Yeah, so the first thing that I would emphatically recommend to anybody out there that's managing a team of one or two or more, I mean, literally anybody, is understanding what competencies and behaviors, and those are two different buckets, what competencies and behaviors uh, warrant being at tier one, two, or three of a specific job role, right? You don't don't necessarily have to change the job description. Or the title. Yeah, not at all. But you can definitely articulate what is the distinction between one, two, and three at that level. And to me, that's on competencies and behaviors. Behaviors are things like, did you show up on time? Are you cool to be around? Are you positive and professional in the face of adversity? Right? Competencies are more objective and measurable. And I think it's a good thing to have both. Right? Um, so for us, when we're talking about tiers and job titles and competencies and behaviors, it's, it's exciting. People want feedback. People want to be challenged, right? People want to know where they sit. Even those that are like uh, conflict avoiders or like conflict averse in some way, shape or form, like they still want to know, right? And if you've got a manager or a leader with a high enough EQ to go, hey, look, I know that this is uncomfortable for you, but like this is the best conversation you're going to have this month because it's about how you get better. Right. Do you, do you train your team, your employees on how to run these, uh, these annual reviews or quarterly reviews or, or do you give them books to read or how do you work with them on, um, on growing their skill set? Because this is a skill in, in delivering a review. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, again, if I'm being honest, I think we're at like a six on a 10 scale. I think we're pretty good. I think we put more time and attention into it than a lot of folks, but I don't know. Um, we're not perfect. There's, I mean, silly things that, well, I shouldn't say they're silly. They're just, they're tried and true things. How to win friends and influence people in the one minute manager are like table stakes for all of our Bingo. managers and us, right? It, it's funny, um, right? The one minute manager, and it's still, it's probably 30 years to 35-ish years old by Ken Blanchard and Paul Hersey. Still yes. one of the best books on management and leadership that's ever been written. It's all, it's based on situational leadership, but we forgot about the book. 
Exactly. Right. It's so it, it's insane. And I give it to people and it's a page turner. It's easy. It's like, you know what I mean? Uh, you get someone in their first leadership role or in a management position that maybe has another manager job, but hasn't been like at a high stakes environment, high velocity environment like this. And it just clicks. Right. I mean, that's, that's one of those books that I think will, that'll stand up right. 50 years from now, hundred years from now, I think that'll still make sense. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad you guys are on that. Okay. So that's interesting. And I like that that is kind of the core or it is some of the foundational work around the, the reviews. Last thing I want to ask about is the, the, this will be the most comfortable place you're uncomfortable in, or this you'll be uncomfortable. Some, what was that phrase? Yeah. This is the most comfortable place you're ever uh, going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Okay. So, so how, how do you get people into that uncomfortable zone? Because I would imagine that's stretching them. It's stretching them to, to deliver more, to work harder, to grow themselves, to, you know, be confrontational in a good way. How do you, what are this kind of some of the ways that you stretch people to be uncomfortable, but still feel comfortable and loved? If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. I mean, and that's, that's the point. I'm glad that you're taking that part away from it. When I say this is the most comfortable place, I don't mean we've got Eames chairs everywhere and, you know, <laughs> champagne on tap and all this other stuff. We do have some nice amenities. And even as we've grown and we were a smaller company, we've tried our best to make it comfortable. But mostly it's emotionally comfortable. It's intellectually comfortable. You know, it's socially comfortable. It's this idea of like, you can be here and you can make a mistake and that's okay because we're all going to challenge ourselves to be better. That's what I mean by comfortable, right? The uncomfortable part, because of the nature of our business, I, I don't really have to drive. That's from clients, right? They, they want more, better, faster, cheaper all the time, right? So that pulls out some level of ingenuity and creativity. We do have to prod some folks from time to time, right? I'll be honest about it. Like yeah. some folks get it. They get into the pocket, they get into the fray and they go, oh my God, I got to be better. I got to learn more. I got to read. I got to this. And they'll they'll be a little more proactive and say, Hey, like, what should I read about this? Or who's a great resource for this? And we'll try and shine them up to anything that they have an appetite for. Some people sort of give into the astonishment of the velocity and the client load and all these other things. And for those, we got to coddle them up a little bit. And, and then I also, I mean, this is a Cutco thing. If you ask any of the old school Cutco guys, we used to say up or out, right? Right. Yep. That's, that's the deal, right? Like, there's no shame in it, by the way. It's not for everybody. Right? If this, is, this isn't for you, that's okay. We're going to tee you up to be in a great position later. And I'm going to welcome you back with open arms as your career develops. And, you know, I'm planning on being here for a long time, Cam. I don't want to, you know, make anybody angry. So that's interesting. I wanna, yeah. I love that you're, you're really okay that they leave, but you're also really okay in understanding they're probably want, going to want to come back at some point when they realize the grass isn't always greener or they've grown and they're ready to come back in at a new level. Yeah. And actually one of the things that we're uh, launching in a couple of weeks is an alumni program for all the folks that used to work here, because not only do we sort of philosophically welcome them back, but we haven't given our former employees a slippery enough slope back into the building. Right. Oh, I love that. A slippery slope back into the building. Yeah, because often it's really hard for them to put their tail between their legs and come back and ask for a job, right? Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm an old enough cat where I've had enough egg on my face over the years where I, I don't have any shame in, you know, asking for help when I need it. But I think a lot of folks, especially if they kind of left with their Great. chest puffed out, they got an offer for 25% more to go work in house somewhere or whatever the deal is. I'll um, tell you, I want to make it real easy. Yeah, you may, the, I love the slippery slope back in, in into the company. That that was something that College Pro Painters did for me back in 1993 is they brought me, I left for two years, went traveling around the world, did another career job, wasn't ever, and then I was like, you know what, I kind of miss it. And they're like, we'd love to have you back. And I went back in as a general manager to oversee 30 franchisees. And that was the summer that I hired Kimball Musk, Elon's brother. And I hired Peter Reeve who built Solar City. I hired both of them and trained them to be franchisees. And that was two years before Elon and Kimball started Zip2. Mm -hmm. Had they not brought me in, uh, Elon's first round of funding was based on his college pro painters experience. So that, that slippery Crazy. door back yeah. in, you never know, right, what that first domino is. But I think what you're saying is as long as the people were good people before, we'd love to have them back. Yeah. And I don't want to make a massive Cutco plug here, but one of the most amazing things about 
that fraternity of people and what they've always done well, I think, is that um, there's people that I'm good friends with, people that I've stood up in their weddings, people that have been to my home in the last six months, people that, you know, we were looking for a role that I hired the, um, the Western region manager to talk to him, like, hey, do you have any guys that are transitioning out of the business looking for something different? And like, it's uh, anytime you can do that with a company, and they've been around since 1949, but anytime you can do uh, that with a company where you can create a culture of belonging and growth, helping each other, you're, you're doing something right, you know? Yeah, I think, I think it's totally okay to make the Cutco plug. By the way, while, while you did that, um, I am looking to bring on another salesperson in the kind of sales and ambassador role, referrals. Um, if you know a great former Cutco person, that's who I would love to be looking at. So keep that in mind. Yeah, um, final we'll question on, on the personal side. If you were to lean back to when you were kind of the 22-year-old, you know, leaving college, um, what, what advice do you wish you'd known back then that now you know to be true, but you wish you'd known when you were, you know, 22, 23 years old? Yeah. Um, awesome question. What I would say is that um, at around age 25, work ethic and natural aptitudes start to level out, right? So if you're smart, if you're gifted, uh, grew up in a good place, went to a good school, you're going to feel like you have a leg up on the world even in your early 20s. Um, but I am telling you, true fact, maybe nobody in your family will tell you this, maybe your boss won't, you will get your fucking ass kicked by the 25-year-old that's been working their tail off for the last 10 years trying to stay in front. And there's something about being young that makes you feel like you're invincible, especially if you have aptitude, um, that I really wish I cultivated a work ethic. Um, I, I ended up, doing it eventually, but had I cultivated a deeper drive, I think I would have had uh, not just more success, but I think I would have had a more rewarding experience in some of my stuff in my 20s. So being smart, nobody gives a shit. We're all smart, right? Develop a work ethic. I think that's cool. That's really cool. I love that. Um, I really, really appreciate all of this time. Tony Del Mercado, the COO and co-founder at Hawk Media. Thanks very much for sharing with us today on the Second Command podcast. Yeah, thank you, Cameron. I appreciate what you do, man. That was awesome. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.